we're back <laughs> with Main Street Politics. Representative Daniel Bonham here today with our guest, Boomer Wright from House District 9, down on the South Coast, freshman legislator. Tell us about that. How, how, did, how did you decide, sitting at home, hey... I, I think I need to get involved in the Oregon legislature. Well, uh, as opinionated about, as I've always been, um, basically it was, uh, uh, it fell in my lap. I was sitting at home on a Friday evening and I get an email from the local Republican Party uh, in Florence and saying, uh, Boomer, uh, do you know anybody that might be interested in running for the state representative position since uh, essentially it was going to be an open seat? And I looked over at my wife and I said, what do you think? And she says, well, what do you what do you mean? What do I think? And I said, what do you think about me running? And she says, you're absolutely crazy. And I said, well, I think that may be a prerequisite to the job in any way. <laughs> so so, so the, the, I think I'm the guy for the job. So Amen. we prayed about it that weekend, called the kids and asked them, you know, if, if, if they felt OK about it. And, you know, there may be some slings and arrows coming their way. And they said, no, Dad, go go for it. We're, we're behind you. So Monday morning, or actually Sunday evening, I, I called them back and said, I'm interested. And, and they said, really? And I go, yeah. And, and so <laughs> the next morning, the, the world descended on me. Some guy by the name of uh, Representative Bonham called and uh, started talking to me about, about, about running and if I was serious. And then, I, of course, I got to talk to Representative Drazen and and uh, several others called and, and encouraged me to continue. And then the next day, I, uh, uh, you asked me, actually, uh, to come up for a training. Yeah. And so we came up, and that's how we met yeah. uh, that next day. So that's how I got here. Well, I remember sending our executive director down to meet you. Yes. And he said, we were sitting in a coffee shop, and everybody that walked by said, hey, Boomer, how's it going? <laughs> and he's like, I knew that we had somebody that at least <laughs> – you know, because we always look for candidates that are tied to their community, that yeah. that are actively engaged, where they're people that are known, and uh, yet it begged the question: Boomer can't be his real name. Like, there's got to be a story behind <laughs> this. Like, how did you become Boomer? Right in uh, in 1972, I took a elementary third grade position as a teacher in Florence, and. Uh, after about three months, the principal walks into my classroom and says, Dwayne, you're doing a heck of a job. We, we're planning to give you a raise. And I thought, well, wonderful, wonderful. And he said, yeah, that's the good news. The bad news is that we're firing the rest of the teachers in the building. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, we just feel like if we just open all the classroom doors, you can teach the whole school from your room. So so, so uh, the next day he sent out a memo about the boomer in room 32. Uh, you know, I do have a hearing loss and I talk loud and I was in a rock and roll band when I was, uh, you know, by the, from the time I was 14 till about the time I was 21. And, you know, our amps are always turned up very, very loud. So it is affecting my hearing. Still enjoy music, still play guitar, but but my hearing is uh, it needs See, help. When I told you we were trying to do research on you, that's the stuff we're after. So tell us about this rock and roll band. Well, uh, I was in several, but the last band I was in uh, was the Bulletproof Cornflake. Okay. Yeah, that was our name. Wonderful. Got lots of, lots of jobs just from the names. Uh, 
back then uh, we 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 were a pretty good band. We played with Jerry Lewis and the Playboys uh, when they were in town. They we played with the Sonics and and uh, uh, the Townsmen at that time. You know that did Louie Louie and and we played with them and and in, usually in Eugene uh, we really never got out of the state. But I had a good time, enjoyed it. Uh, but toward the end, in the middle of the 60s, when when uh, everybody seemed to be involved with a drug issue, uh, I was never part of that. Yeah. I, and I could see that if if I continued in, in the music realm, that uh, I just didn't want to be involved with that. Yeah. Yeah. Is, so what was your role in the band? I was uh, I played guitar. Uh, I basically played rhythm, and then I sang. Perfect, because karaoke night is oh. something that does happen here at the Capitol I love now and again. I love it. Uh, I, big karaoke guy. David Brocksmith, former state rep Tiffany Mitchell, last session put together a you know a bipartisan karaoke night, <laughs> and uh, I'm in. Boy, that David Brock Smith, he's going to give you some competition. He loves to belt him out himself. <laughs> that's wonderful. That, that's a great time. Years ago, I went, uh, uh, took my nephew down to, uh, I'm trying to think of the name, as a little place in, oh, Douglas. It was Douglas, Arizona, which is right on the bottom. It's kind of the southeast border. And we ended up in, uh, after I dropped him off, we went to Tombstone. Yeah. I decided to spend the night there because I wanted to look around and uh, uh, walked in uh, to a small little tavern and uh, in, and started singing karaoke. And pretty quick, oh, around 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, everybody, the locals walked in with their regalia and all the Western outfits. Yeah. And, and we sang karaoke for the next uh, probably four or five hours. And it was it was wonderful. Had a had a great time. So we I thoroughly enjoyed that. Yeah. So you had this vision of coming here and you already mentioned you know being somewhat mentally unstable to want this job <laughs> and so now you're almost a month in yes. to, to having this job can you uh now reflect back and say was this job so far what you anticipated it to be i know this is an odd year right session hasn't been well it's it, an odd year for you it's not an odd year for me this is my normal <laughs> fair <laughs> enough yeah yeah well um is it what I expected? No, it, it's not. I'm not sure what I expected. Uh, it's um, it's it's just a a, a whole um, new world uh, when you when you come up here. Uh, you know, you can be sitting at home and you can be a cynic, and you can say, "Well, those representatives and those senators, they don't do anything." I mean, nothing's happening, or I don't like that. Uh, you know, one of the reasons I decided to run would be, was due to the imbalance that we have in the legislature. And I firmly believe that we need, you know, 30 representatives from from both sides, essentially. Uh, and so people have a say and you compromise and you work together what's what to what's best. I was thinking on the way up here of, of, of two two kids who were in a kitchen and uh, uh, wanting a cookie. And and uh, one was a little larger than the other, so he could reach the cookie, but he didn't want to give the cookie to the other. So he he basically controlled the the, the cookie market, and that's kind of what's happening in the in legislature. There's one party controlling the cookie market, right now, and and I I think uh, the other side need needs a cookie now and then also, and I, and you compromise by doing that, and I think you come out with a a better. Um, ending a better outcome simply because 
there, there's a certain population that's not being recognized and being honored and, and being listened to. And that's another reason why I ran. I really felt like, particularly the South Coast and rural Oregon in general, the voice is not being heard. Yeah. Yeah. So you have experience in education. Correct. How many years were you involved in I, I was 30, 31 years in education, 10 years as an elementary teacher. Uh, I taught third through eighth grade uh, off and on. Um, then I was a principal of uh, elementary school, and I was a principal of a middle school, and then I ended my career as the superintendent of schools in Mapleton School District, which was a great place. But the best job was was a uh, principal at the K-2 school. Uh, I had 450 little darlings that I got to see every day and had a smile on my face because they 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 were amazing people. Honest, straightforward, and, and if there's something happens, they, they'll let you know. And they're very, very perceptive. I was walking down the hall one day, and, and, and you know, normally I'm a pretty positive person, and I walk around with a smile on my face and Anyway, that particular day, apparently I, that was not me. And so this beautiful little girl with blonde hair and pigtails, little bows in her hair and, and two missing front teeth walked up to me and said, Mr. Wright, you could really use a hug, couldn't you? <laughs> and I, I said, apparently. So she gave me a hug, hug and bounced off down the hall. Yeah. They're, they're, they're amazing people. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And it was uh, not only an honor, but a privilege to be there every day. I'm sure people will hear it in your voice, but I wish they could see your face as it lit up <laughs> as you share that story. Oh. You also have engaged with uh, reading books and playing the guitar on online and in ways to stay engaged with. Yeah, uh, I ended up uh several years ago i was offered a position as the um general manager at sea lion caves what a wonderful place if you've never been to the sea lion caves you need to go but anyway as i looked around the the shop the gift shop that they had there i noticed there were there were books but it was more aimed at adults so i decided maybe i could write a book about uh, the legend of sea lion caves and, and for children so essentially I did that. And then, then it wasn't quite what I wanted. So, so I thought, well, to, about sea lions in general, I wanted to have something for the younger. So I, so I developed a little book uh, called Stella the Baby Sea Lion, which uh, it was aimed at about, oh, you know, second graders, third graders, and, and uh, had, a, had a great time writing it and was very popular. And, and then that got me thinking about uh, the people seemed to be very, very interested when they came to Sea Lion Caves about Sasquatch. Yeah. So so I ended up writing a children's book about two Sasquatch twins, Stu and Sue, and, and their adventures around Sea Lion Caves. And then it, that kind of developed into writing some other uh, animal books about Boomer's Pond and and how Boomer the beaver came down the Sarislaw River, came up to Sea Lion Caves, built a, built a dam with Susie Beaver, and and then we I wrote books about each of the personalities of my grandchildren. So and that led to other things, and and right now I'm working on a book called Teaching. Sometimes all you can do is laugh, and it's all all the funny stories over the years that I've done that. So uh, I haven't written for a while. I need to go back to it, but that's kind of how I got 
the writing bug. Is there a reason why Boomer was a beaver and not a duck? Yeah. <laughs> so, so. Well, well, I, you know, I, I needed to have somebody, some animal that could create a big pond, okay, and I okay. did that sort that, of how it turned out. Even so though I am a duck. Perfect. I'm, perfect. Yeah. I'm glad. I just wanted to clarify yeah. that. So, with your 30 years of experience in education, though, and you come to this building, you're put on the education committee. Right. Is the state policy committee in the house talking about what we should be talking about or or is there a different vision that the state should have you know with your practical experience i i, I found it interesting this cycle too we we had multiple teachers run as republicans right and uh, i really appreciated that because i i think so many times we get mischaracterized as people that don't care about education when we actually uh hold education at a pretty high value well uh and we should uh but the key is for us to remember something, and, and that is the, the schools in general were not ever developed to solve all the ills of our society. I mean, we were supposed to teach reading, writing, and arithmetic. Uh, now we teach probably during the week 12 subjects. Uh, and we're supposed to teach on top of that you know, sex education, uh, we're now into social justice and racial equality and, and, and all those things which are important. Uh, my question sometimes is, is how you fit that into the curriculum. Uh, I have a story years ago, uh, I had a wonderful lady who later became a very good friend of mine walk into my office at the elementary school and said, Boomer, I've got this wonderful drug program that I want to have you um, put into your system. And so she went through the whole thing and I said, well, that's, that's really wonderful. Thank you for bringing it in. I, I just only have one question. Uh, we can implement this. What don't you want us to teach? Right. And she looked at me with kind of this look on her face like, what are you talking about? I said, <clears throat> we have a state curriculum that we're supposed to teach. And every minute is is taken up by doing these kinds of things, you know, plus lunch, plus recess, you know, those kinds of things, library and music and PE and all those kinds of things. So, so the key is that once you decide to put something into the curriculum, something leaves. So... Uh, I'm not. Years ago, we had something that was called competencies, and and it was a big deal. I mean, we had to do all kinds of things, and and so I was up here one morning, and uh, with the superintendents uh, from around the state, and they went on and on and on about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And I said, "Well, I I, I raised my hand. I said, I I have I have a little bit of a problem with this," and they said, "What's that?" And I said, "Well, what what you're saying is that." It's kind of like a um, an automotive automobile assembly line. So we're running it, and we're we're making Malibus. We're making Chevy Malibus, and and we're doing a great job. And now you come in and you say you want us to make Corvettes, but we can't stop the assembly line. We can't retool. We can't retrain. And you're not giving us more time. So so what what are we supposed to be doing? And again, my question was, what don't you want us to teach? Yeah. Well, I never got anything back. They didn't really want to answer that question, but we ended up stuck with this. And, and like all cycles within education, within about five years, you know, with a new superintendent of schools and a new uh, outlook about what kinds of things in society, that went out the door and we're doing something else. So, 
the cycle seemed to run in about 10 years uh, and things change. And unfortunately, sometimes the pendulum goes way one way and then way the other, depending on what the Oregon Department of Education decides is important. Where I believe that we need much more local control, that the local the local uh, school boards and the uh, the people in the community know know what their students need, and I think yeah. we need much more local control. Okay, so you have uh, several bills to support veteran services. Yes, uh, giving to people that have given so much can be such a rewarding opportunity. Talk about your veterans back home in the community. Uh, and why you're engaged in these issues. Well, during my campaign, uh, uh, I got to, the best thing about campaigning is you get to meet such wonderful people. I mean, I met pe people I would never normally ever meet anywhere else, simply because of walking around town or going to meet and greets or or, or just, just in general uh, meeting people one-on-one -on -one because of the COVID situation. Uh, but I met a group of veterans uh, in Coos Bay that were really amazing people. Uh, they sat down with me and had we had long conversations, uh, having a beer and a cup of coffee, and, and they just unloaded. And uh, I just had, you know, you know, you get in your own little bubble world and you think about, well, the veterans, you know, I know they have problems. But, but when you actually sit down and talk with, with them, you go, whoa, whoa. And, and so um, they were wonderful supporters. They were boomerites uh, all the way since from the first time I met them. Um, and so when they came to me during one of the, my last conversations, they said, uh, Boomer, we need some help. And I said, okay, what do you need? And they said, well, <clears throat> we're having trouble with uh, getting to uh, Roseburg from the VA hospital there from, from Coos Bay and Eugene or even sometimes to Portland could you help us do that and I said well I'll, I'll do the best I can <clears throat> and the other thing is they suggested that that uh, they have a one-stop shop where any veteran can go in and find out what all the services are available to them including the private sector uh, and I said okay I think I think I can do that too so um, <laughs> uh, I think shortly after I was uh, elected, uh, somebody called my uh, my consultant and basically said, uh, "Has Boomer submitted any bills?" And I said, "Well, no, I'm not. I'm not a representative yet." Oh, yeah, but you can submit them through another representative. And and so I said, "Great. Uh, when do you? When do we need to do that?" He says, "You got a half an hour." <laughs> I said, wonderful. So I had I had the three thing uh, my three bills that I was that was thinking about. Two of them were the veterans bill, and so fortunately, I appreciate you, uh, representative, uh, sponsoring some of those, and I appreciate those a bunch. Uh, the other one is is the bottle bill, which I'm working on right now, and uh, I've submitted that. So it it's just one way uh, that uh, I can help the veterans, and I can uh, will continue to support what they need uh, as far as submitting bills or, or, or whatever. So a uh, great, wonderful group of people, um, and I definitely will support whatever they want to do. It is that type of interaction, though, and then the ability to get something accomplished here that makes this job so rewarding. Yeah. So I wish you success with that, and Thank I hope you. you're able to take back a, a win for your community <laughs> and for the veterans. And, well, uh, uh, the governor and I had an epiphany together because okay. she submitted the same bill I did, essentially. 
Yeah. So, you know, obviously great minds think alike. So, <laughs> so, so, uh, uh, I probably will, will, will adapt my bill and her bill and make it even, even a little bit better with some amendments. So, uh, I, anyway, I, I appreciate, uh, the input that I got, uh, uh from the, the vets and, and hopefully we'll 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 make some differences for them. You know, homelessness is another aspect, and and every as you mentioned, every organization that wants more money. Uh, when I when I talked to those same organizations, and they said, well, if you could do one thing to better benefit the people that you serve, what would it be? And they said, well, provide housing. That's yeah. it. Yeah, provide housing for for the whole thing. So. During my campaign, I said, basically, if you want to provide affordable houses, you need to make them affordable. It's pretty simple, but the concept is that we do so many things, so many regulations and isolations from different agencies, so many fees. I talked to a builder just this week, and he basically said to start building his house, uh, uh, a, a home, a residential home, uh, it's $80,000 to get started. And that's before you even clear the land. Right. So if you, again, if you want to make homes more affordable, you got to make them affordable and, and things like that have to be considered. And, and the more, the more we, uh, make sure that we're compliant with all the things that we think are important. We just need to remember that if you, if people can't afford to build them, then they won't be there. Yeah. Between restricted supply and, and the fees that you mentioned, it, it is well, yeah. terribly difficult to try and build affordable housing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and we're we're you know, there's a desert out there for affordable homes and we have so much need and we need to really concentrate on, on the reason why things are not the way they are before we start solving problems. You know, I inherited John Huffman's office. So Okay. You know, when you have a more senior member they're normally in a decent spot. I took his office, and thankfully, the following year, no one took my office. And so I was still on the fourth floor next to Greg Smith. And <laughs> second floor is very political. Third floor, still a little political. The fourth floor just seemed to have an air of bipartisan, free flow camaraderie. Karaoke, uh, karaoke night. Oh, no. I mean, even in the morning, just turn the music up and start singing. <laughs> We had one. We had one morning up on the fourth floor, and uh, just we had a nice little spot up there in the corner. And you know, some mornings we get here early because when you live three hours away, you come to Salem and you work. Because yeah. I don't want to hang out at the hotel room. I, you know, I'd rather be here in the building. Yeah. And so uh, here it's six, seven in the morning, and staff rolls in when they roll in. You never know who's in the building, but most other members were rolling in around 7.45, 8 o'clock. So one morning, 7 o'clock in the morning, I decided that I was going to sing We Are the World. Oh. And uh, I can't remember who the staffer was from the Senate side that happened to be over that day. Um, but we were singing, and we were trying to sing along with the parts, you know, because there's so many different yeah. famous singers that yeah. were part of that you tried to change your voice to sing along with them and next thing you know all these heads are popping up like you know because we only have half walls out in the yeah. outer office and it was like watching these hedgehogs pop up to see who the heck was singing and uh yeah we, we took a little grief for that but it was yeah. fun and yeah. uh nice little environment up there on the fourth floor is the vibe still yeah cool yeah well i haven't met everybody up there yet but it, it is it is it, it has a good feeling to it let's put it that way um 
course, yeah, I, I'm I'm much like my grandfather, uh, who could not uh, walk down a city street without talking to everybody that went by because everybody knew him. Uh, so I'm the same way. I'm not sure I ever ever met a stranger that, that weren't strangers for more than about five minutes. Um, I am a people person, and I, I really enjoy meeting with people and talking and and getting their ideas about things. And one of the things that in my administrative career, I, I always believe that I never made decisions in a void, and that although I told my staff I am ultimately responsible for this building, and I will ultimately make the final decision, but I'll never make it without talking to you and trying to understand the this all sides of the situation so and and surround yourself obviously with people that are smarter than you are always makes you look good yeah <laughs> I, well, i'll say this though like the one frustration i have for new members is that we're in this environment where not everybody's here right uh, to your point and and probably if you were to do a swot analysis of the way boomer right was going to be super effective as a state rep you would put that personality that that willingness to engage with people absolutely your outgoing nature as one of your strengths right, right. And, and not being able to utilize that uh, because people are on zooms and they're not answering the phone you can't just tap somebody on the shoulder in the hallway and pull them into your office right. and have that quick five ten minute conversation on a bill or a concept or or even just getting to know people right like it, right. it's a challenge so i'm hopeful for you that uh, we get to the back end of this pandemic sooner than later so that you can truly experience the joy of having everybody in the building. And Absolutely. not just other members, but yeah. the constituents being able to come to the Capitol. There's something special about being in this building and and the lobby and uh, the special interest folks because you you hear from everybody, right? It's you not bet. just the special interests that agree with you that come knock on your door. And having that ability to raise your awareness. I, I, I wish that for you sooner than later. I, I hope that, but although uh, I, I'm an only child, and of course my, my parents wanted quality, not quantity, is the way I look at it. <laughs> Boomer, I'm the youngest of six. Earlier, when you were talking about being loud, I was like, oh, you're hard of hearing, that's why you're loud in the band. And all. My excuse is I'm the youngest of six, and if I wasn't loud, no one listened to me. <laughs> I can I can definitely understand that. So, you know, being alone, uh, we lived in a, a little place called Lorraine, which was out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And and I, we lived at the end of the road. So and I spent a lot of time by myself. So um, my mother was a wonderful uh, teacher herself, though she was never a you know, public school teacher. But but um, so I've learned to take, you know, do things myself if I had to. Uh, and being alone is not um, a hindrance to me at all. Sometimes it's nice just to be alone because sometimes uh, you need to be able to think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, that's initially the, the first two weeks here was really tough for me because, you know, between the lobby and, and uh, my constituents and uh, my committee assignments, it, you know, all of a sudden you started at six o'clock in the morning, you ended at six o'clock at night and you hadn't even had time to go to the bathroom, much less do much else. Uh, and so it's kind of things have, have quieted now and it's, it's nice to be able to have just a few minutes to just sit down and think, what do you do next? You hear all this information from committee, people call you, you get 5,000 emails. And so you just need a few minutes to just sit down and say, Okay, let, let me think about today. Let me think about the, what those people just talked about. Write myself some notes so I don't forget. Yeah. Because all the, obviously, after after the 50th person talked to you, I don't even remember 
what the first person's name was. So, and that's important. You yeah. got to be able to have time to think. So the one thing I've learned about you is that you're an optimist. Absolutely. And I will say that that will serve you so well. And even the drive becomes an opportunity, right? I, I find time that to the, think. the three hours that I have to drive <laughs> yeah. to and from the Capitol on the days yeah. I go back and forth are, are tremendous uh, to make phone calls, to sit and think, to reflect. Uh, but yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, many, many times uh, I used to have, there was something years ago that was called the minute manager. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it was it was it was just uh, some some major leaders in the in um, in our economy. Um, um, I'm trying to think of the guy Chrysler. I just lost his name, uh, but anyway, uh, he he and others. Iacocca. Would, yeah, Iacocca. Thank you. Uh, he would do these little minute things, and so I, I wasn't very. You know, I live close to the school, so that's about how much time I had to get there. So you just flip it in your your radio or your cassette. It was cassettes then. <laughs> <laughs> Does that date As, me? <laughs> yeah, we just we just dated ourselves. And and you know, you pick up something in the morning, or you pick up something um, coming home. So I, I think those are those are important times to use effectively because you're going to be in the car anyway. So. Uh, I, I enjoyed I enjoy those times when I'm driving. So heading into this session, uh, what what are you hoping to accomplish? What, what if you get to the end of session and you look back and say this happened? What will be success for House District Nine and Boomerite? Well, uh, you get through the pandemic. That is the, that's going to be the biggie. Uh, we're we're 1.7 billion dollars in a hole, and so for us to be thinking about new programs and spending more money uh, it, it will not benefit the state or the people and the businesses who are closed. So my goal is going to be to to strengthen what we have, okay, and let's plan for the future, but not to put more burden on my constituents or the people of Oregon with more taxes, more fees, more regulations. That's not going to help the economy. I mean, we all understand that without small business, there is no economy. Right. And so we've got to partner with them, support them, give them the things that they need to succeed, and, and, and then create, help them create other businesses. If you look at places like Coos Bay, Oregon, which is an amazing place, uh, one of the things that has happened down there with the what, closure of the federal forest, now they're talking about the closure of Shutter Creek, they're talking about closures in the Elliott Forest, we're talking about closures on the dunes. I mean, people are feeling picked on, beat on, and not heard. And so what we need to do is, is understand some of the things that we've learned from COVID. Number one we've learned from COVID is that you don't have to be in a 30-story building to be productive or to be competitive. Right. Right? We don't. We know that. So what's the next step? Well, there's something that's called livability. Oregon is an amazing place to live, uh, particularly the Oregon coast. Of course, I'm biased. <laughs> I was about to say, particularly District 59 in there you go. North Central Oregon. Yeah, that's right. Beautiful areas. So what we need, of course, is 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 broadband and making sure that we have that in our community so we can be productive and competitive all over the world. And so that's going to be important. That's going to start small businesses, and I think that's how you grow. I don't think we, we think about bringing in these grandiose programs, and, and sometimes they, they do okay and sometimes they don't. But small businesses grow. We just need to help them grow. So if I can be a part of that emphasis and support to help small business grow in Oregon in general, then I feel I've been successful. 
So specifically, you mentioned Shutter Creek. Talk about that a little. What what is the potential there? Understanding the governor most likely. Uh, yeah, will she's get her projected wish. that that she wants to close it. And uh, at, when I talked to her on Friday, uh, she basically said it was because of there's so many um, capital improvements that need to be done there. Uh, I'll be I will be chatting with them. The, the people that I've talked to there have not mentioned that, but we're talking about a small community. Uh, of uh, about around around probably maybe fifteen hundred people called Lakeside, and and this provides ninety jobs, six million dollars to the area. Uh, when we passed ballot measure five, what happened to some small districts is that they didn't have a tax base. Mm-hmm. And, and they're not able to do that now uh, unless it's a vote of the people. And people right now don't want any more taxes. We, I mean, who does? Yeah. So basically, they're going to lose $12,000 a month that the Shutter Creek uh, Correctional Facility pays them for uh, water and sewer and those kinds of things. Uh, that's other than their fees for sewer and water to the locals, they don't have any more income. So that's going to be devastating to that community. The other aspect of the Shutter Creek really provides some wonderful training for these inmates. And they've made a mistake down the road, but not a severe one. And they're going to go back in society in about four years. And they're going to be released from there. During that time, they can gain a skill, whether that's firefighting, which they really helped during the this last uh, summer with the wildfires that there, many of their uh, group was trained specifically on how to support the firefighters to make sure they were there to help. Uh, also, there's a, they can become carpenters, uh, bricklayers, electricians. They are taught a skill before they before they leave. I I think in in the uh, in the concept of of making sure that these people leave a facility and become a productive person to society they're they're doing an amazing job um there's also some ed- education uh, component to it. Some of these inmates have not graduated from high school. They're allowed to do that. They bring in people, so they're they're educated and 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 helped and promoted to 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 go on with their education. So it's it it really is about rehabilitation. It's an amazing place. I haven't been to Lakeside to see theirs, but I would imagine it's probably the same. Uh, again, as I mentioned, all the things that have happened to Coos County and, and, and costing us jobs, particularly in the natural resource industry, this is just another um, uh, problem for us in, in jobs. Um, and, you know, people are going to have to leave the area. They're going to be fewer, fewer kids are going to have to leave uh, from the school system. Uh, I was just, what, in Redmond and Bend, I read just the other day that there are 1,500 fewer students going to school there now than previous. Right. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing. It's going to happen down in Coos Bay. So uh, I'm, I'm really concerned. So, so it's, it's not just about cutting programs. If I really believe that, that the reason that we're doing that is to save money, then why are we create? Why is our governor creating all these other programs that cost money? Right. It doesn't make any sense. So I, I'm sorry, but it seems like that our governor is talking out of both sides of her mouth right now. But that's just my opinion. And at the end of the day, budgets express priorities. Exactly. One of my one of my favorite things that politicians do is they say my top priority is, and then they list seven things. At the end of the day, which one are you going to fund fully 
and you really only get one top yeah. priority. And you can have a secondary and a tertiary yeah. and on and on. But the reality is, you know, we only get one top priority. Yeah. And so uh, one of the bills I put forward with Rep. Weber, who's going to be part of this show, we're going to have Rep. Weber come in later. So we get the two rookies from the coast <laughs> on the podcast today. All right. And uh, we're going to talk about a bill that she and I have that we're putting forward to fund schools first. That we always think that the budget should start with the education fund and make sure that the money's there for education first and then go on and finish the budget process. So uh, I, I can't argue with that at all. Representative Solman put forth a bill um, that talk in particularly in, in, in behavioral health, uh, basically to say before we do anything with ballot measure 110, <clears throat> before we, we start implementing programs, let's find out where we are. Let's find out what the, what treatment centers there are in Oregon. Let's find out which are working correctly. Let's take a look at the colleges and and figure out are there programs uh, to promote a workforce for mm -hmm. for all these treatment programs and social workers and those kinds of things. Which makes a heck of a lot of sense to yeah. me. Before we jump into something, before we spend a lot of money or throw money at it, which is which is I, I think. Uh, uh, our constituents uh, definitely think that we do that uh, in a, a lot of ways. We just throw money at it and hopefully it'll go away. But, and that doesn't work at all. We know that. I've not had an agency director yet that didn't advocate for more money. And if they just had that, they could solve the world's problems. More money. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, in the last three weeks, the agencies who have talked to me, <clears throat> excuse me, have basically said exactly that. I just, I need this, I need this, I need this, and yes. And my question to them is, tell me what you're doing right, right now. Yeah. And then yeah. and then I said, yeah, wonderful. Let's perfect. strengthen those programs and make sure that they're working and doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, we're not, we don't have the money to give you right now. So strengthen your programs and then come back. And that's my take on on, on people who come and ask for money. It's not there. So we want, we want to please our listeners, the people that have provided feedback, both of them Absolutely. that listen to this, the two listeners that have told me what they think of the show, <laughs> uh, have called up and they say, you know what we appreciate about your show is you mix in policy, but you also give us a window into who the people are. Right. And so we've talked many serious issues here. I want to pivot back to a little bit of fun. You were a coach. Yes. You haven't even talked about this, but like I would have led with I coached because that was my favorite part of engagement with the young kids. Well, and that perpetuated Boomer. You know, yeah. I was a wrestling coach, football coach. Uh, uh, I coached uh, girls softball, uh, 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 boys basketball, boys uh, baseball. I kind of did it all as my kids were growing up, you know. Uh, I learned an immense amount of, not only in, in when I was teaching, but I think I learned more from the kids than maybe they learned from me. Yeah, uh, and I think that is a real value when I work with kids. I think I have the ability to get down on their level and to be able to to work with. Them. I know, I know. When I first taught, uh, was coerced into teaching football or coaching football. Yeah. Excuse me. I remember walking out on the field uh, that first day and and having played football in high school as a running back. I knew that the line did something. I just wasn't sure what they did. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I found out quickly it was pretty important. Yeah. So, so, so I, 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 I learned. It took me about four or five years to be to I felt I become uh, a good coach and actually use my players because I was the only coach. I had you know like 40, 45 kids, and I'm I'm the only person there, and so I had to have the kids 
help themselves to a certain extent. And so they became my, instead of my players, they became my assistant coaches. And, and then once I did that, both that and wrestling, then, then my kids became very, very successful. And we we wrestled all over the state. We we played football. We won games. And um, but there's another side of it. But my favorite story about football, uh, we had a season uh, toward the end of my career where we hadn't we hadn't allowed anybody to even score on yeah. us. No. Yeah. Now this is middle school. This is eighth grade. Right. And it was a phenomenal year. And um, it was hard to keep the score down because I just had a great group of kids. I had a good friend in Reed Sport at the time who was coaching, and he hadn't won a game. He hadn't won a game. And so we were like, I don't know, 24 nothing, and I was really trying to not to score. I said, I don't want you to score anymore, okay? Right. We, you know, and I told him why. So last play of the game, Reed Sport's got the ball. I'm looking over there, and I said, time out. I walked over to J- Jake, and I said, Jake, you want to score a touchdown. Now, they had not ever scored a touchdown all year. I said, would you like to score a touchdown? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, would you like to score a touchdown? He said, I, I really like to score a touchdown. Okay. I said, then you run a sweep to the right. Okay. He says, okay. And he looked very puzzled at me. So I went back to my team and I said, I told them the situation. They had not won a game. I said, you know how you feel when you win? I said, we're going to give these kids a little flavor of win. They're going to let, let them score. And they, they were puzzled. And I said, we just do this because that's what sportsmanship is all about. It's not all about winning. It's about also how you treat your opponent. You you work hard and you make sure that you want to do your best. But the other guy is there too and you want to make sure that they're all right. So here's what we're going to do. They're going to go right. We're going to go right. And I said, we're going to, you just run over there and everybody fall down. That's all you have to do. And so anyway, so my kids did that. They made that sweep and they ran 60 yards for a touchdown. The concept, not the concept, but but it when they got to that end zone, it was amazing. It was like they had won the Super Bowl. Yeah, you know, and and that that made my season even more than than the kids, you know, winning every game. Uh, and we we all went in the locker room and said that was really cool. The kids came and said that was really cool, Coach. Yeah, and I said, well, we, you just need to take care of each other. So, my favorite football story. I uh, I can tell you, you know, I've coached youth sports for years, and I only gave it up when I first took this job. But I, I ended my coaching time uh, with eighth grade basketball, and and thoroughly enjoyed that. But I look back at some of my favorite teams, yeah. and they weren't necessarily the best teams. No. They were the teams that had personality. They were the teams that gelled and loved each other. Like yeah. the buy-in to each other was always more important. Um, some of the teams that had that, of course were the more successful teams, but it wasn't necessarily because they were the most talented. It was because they just, they, they knew each other, they trusted each other. And, uh, yeah, I, I, we could exchange some stories of fun, (laughs) but we always focused on making sure every kid on the team scored. Absolutely. You know, especially at the level I was, you know, I do think you get to a level with competitive sports where you do want to win and, and each athlete wants to showcase their talent and have the opportunity to compete at the next level. And, and you do have to transition at some point. Yes. At some point we do care about winning and it, and it can be then the only thing if you're Tom Brady wanting to win, you know, an eighth Super Bowl. selfish Tom Brady. We need to talk about that. He needs to be charitable. Boomer, he could have used your uh, team running off the right, falling down and letting Patrick Mahomes win back to back. But it didn't happen. Um, anyway, but uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that story. Well, we've got the floor 
coming up here this morning. We we took Tuesday morning here at the Capitol to Yeehaw. visit with Boomer Wright. We're going to go down to the floor, have our floor session today, and then it's uh, on to committees and the daily grind. The daily grind. Thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, our guest today has been Boomer Wright of House District 9. Uh, we wish you all the success in the world. And you too. And uh, we'll see you soon. Good. Thank you. And thank you, the listeners, for coming back by again. Main Street Politics. Remember, if you need to get a hold of us here in the office, 503-986-1459. Or our district office is 541-719-8745. Mm-hmm.